At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, some of our bottles can be remade in a whole new way, using 100% recycled plastic. New bottles using no new plastic, except the caps and labels. Learn more at madetoberemade.org. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hi, stay tuned listeners. As many of you know, we recently launched Cafe Insider. It's a subscription service that includes the Cafe Insider podcast, co-hosted by Ann Milgram and me. Each week, we break down the news and make sense of what's happening. We're living through historic times, and many people understandably feel lost in the daily deluge of headlines. Our goal is to help you filter the noise and get to the core of the issues at the intersection of law and politics. From time to time, we will make portions of our conversations on the Cafe Insider podcast available for free. Today, we're bringing you a segment from our most recent episode. Ann and I dig into Roger Stone's indictment. We also discuss Jared Kushner's top-secret security clearance and why that's of concern. If you'd like to hear the full episode, become a member by going to cafe.com slash insider. Members get access to the Insider podcast, bonus clips from Stay Tuned interviews, a weekly newsletter, and more. For many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Full episodes of Stay Tuned remain free every Thursday, and the subscription allows us to keep doing what we're doing. And now... Here's a portion of our conversation on Cafe Insider. From Cafe, welcome to Cafe Insider. I'm Preet Bharara. And I'm Ann Milgram. Hi, Ann. How are you today? Hi, good morning. So on Thursday, we might have been wondering what exactly we would be talking about, but Bob Mueller doesn't disappoint. On Friday, we were sure we had something to discuss. Roger Stone. So before we get to the substance of Roger Stone, can we discuss one of the more interesting aspects of uh, his person? His personal attacks on you? Well, no, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. I'm, we're definitely going to get to okay. that. I was going to talk about his personal tattoo. Oh, the Richard Nixon tattoo on his back. Yeah. Do you have one of those? I do not. You? <laughs> I, I, actually, I don't have any tattoos. I, I have actually, to be I actually uh, since this is the insider, yes. I can confess that I actually have a Millard Fillmore tattoo. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite as large will you, as will Roger Stone. post but, a picture on Cafe Insider? You know, right? I might. <laughs> <laughs> you notice I haven't asked you where it is. <laughs> um. In an upcoming we got to keep it clean. Upcoming got to keep the pod yes. clean. Luckily, this is audio. So he was indicted on seven counts. Yes. One count of obstruction. Um, five counts of lying to Congress, the House Intelligence Committee, and one count of witness tampering. So before we get to what some of the interesting aspects are, let's talk about what we think of the strength of the case. I think it's very strong. I think it's unbelievably strong. And I mean, we we should talk about this, but if you look at the other charges that have been brought by the special counsel, for example, you know, the 1001 case that's brought against, say, uh, Papadopoulos or Michael Flynn, you sort of see there's often an allegation that someone said something untruthful, and it's it's one time. Even right. And you, when you say 1001, just, you know, this is a statute we talk about all the time, 18 USC 1001, making a false statement to law enforcement. Yes, and it's one of the things that um, that that has been charged repeatedly in the Mueller investigation. And we've seen multiple instances in some cases, but it's often someone lied about something very specific. 
Take Michael Cohen recently, for example. He pleaded guilty to lying to Congress about the timing of the conversations about Trump Tower Moscow. The allegation there was he told Congress that it ended in January 20, 2016 when he later admitted that it went through at least June of 2016. That's one very discreet thing. One of the things that is stunning about this indictment is that you have pages upon pages of lies and basic instances in which Stone said that he either had no conversations with WikiLeaks or minimized his conversations with WikiLeaks and others related to the Democratic hacks of the emails. And then you go through and sort of methodically the special counsel's office is saying that's not true. And here are and they're quoting. And I think that this is really important. They're quoting because it's not just that they have a witness on the other side who's saying that's not true. They have actual they have a WhatsApp. There's communic- a transcript. Exactly. They have they have a transcript from the house. They've got, um, and then they've got emails from Stone, text messages, WhatsApps, and basically, Stone can say whatever he wants, but you know the record doesn't lie. Right. And I should make clear for folks that when I mentioned the statute thousand and one, you can allege that when there's a lie to a law enforcement official, and also as here, there's another aspect of it, lying to Congress. So he's actually charged with a thousand and one, multiple times in this indictment. And and my my favorite which I don't know how you escape this, because one of the defenses to a false statement is that it was unintentional, that you made a mistake or you forgot. Right. Very hard to prove that sometimes because a busy CEO maybe testifies uh, in a proceeding or makes a statement to to, uh, a law enforcement agent, and maybe he didn't remember a particular email that was from a year earlier or a meeting that was two years earlier. And some of that was at issue when Jeff Sessions testified in connection with his confirmation hearing, what meetings did he have, and also with respect to that Trump Tower famous meeting yeah. from the summer of 2016. But here, my, my favorite example, may, may I read Please. it? Please. Um, so this is paragraph 33 on page 16 of the indictment. We have the documents right here in front of us. They're talking about the written communications between Stone and person one and between Stone and person two during his testimony to the House Intelligence Committee. We'll get to those people, person one and person two in a moment. But this, this kind of, I, I literally wrote in the margin of my indictment that afternoon, ha, uh, not that it's a laughing matter, but the Mueller indictment says, indeed, on or about September 26th, 2017, the day that Stone testified before HIPSI, that's the Intelligence Committee, and denied having ever sent or received emails or text messages from Person 2, denied ever having done that, right? Stone and Person 2 exchanged over 30 text messages. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so it's very, it's a very hard. Stone cold liar, yeah. Stone, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Did you, did oh, you I didn't even that? mean that. Did yeah, you, uh... no. But you know what I'll say? I'm sure but I How do you defend against that? How do you defend? There is no way you can defend against it. And it's sort of like your child asks you, can I have a chocolate chip cookie? You say no. Two minutes later, you hear a crash. You walk into the kitchen. The cookie jar's on the floor and your kid has chocolate all over their face. And you <laughs> right. say, did you just take a cookie? And they say, no, I didn't need a cookie. Right? It's right. like- With the cookie in the mouth. With the cookie in the mouth. It's like that level of just you just don't understand what's happening, how he could say it. And I think, look, he's gotten away with it. This is how he rolls. This is who he is. And to me, the special counsel pulls out those 30 text messages. You have him under oath in front of the House Intelligence Committee saying, I never had any communication. And, you know, how do you say you forgot? I forgot that I just texted him two minutes ago. Yeah. And there's there's another strength in the indictment, too, because as we said, count seven is not lying. It's witness tampering. And that's, uh, there's a discussion in the indictment in some detail of all the ways in which Roger Stone tried to get person two, who is Randy Credico, and we'll, again, we'll describe that in more detail, where he tried to get Randy Credico not to testify before the Congress right. uh, or to assert the Fifth Amendment privilege against testifying. And there's a back and forth between 
Roger Stone and Randy Credico, where Roger Stone says over and over again, don't testify, don't testify, trying to obscure the fact that he may have not told the truth. And Randy Credico, according to the indictment, says over and over again, says, you need to amend your testimony before I testify on the 15th. Over and over again. So, Because you're going to be caught in perjury. Yeah, because, yes. because Randy's claiming he's telling the truth and you have not told the truth. And so when you're trying to get a witness who thinks you lied and, getting to, and, and trying to get you to correct your testimony, uh, and then you get charged with lying, and then separately you're charged with trying to get someone to confirm your lies or not be in a position to rebut your lies, those charges, as we sometimes see, and it's really nice when it happens for a prosecutor, they overlap and they reinforce each other. Right, and, so, and it's a really important point because it's not just that Stone himself lied to stop people from finding out, people like Congress, from finding out the truth of what happened. He also was trying to get somebody else to lie. And it really is a step beyond, which is why I think it's an appropriate charge, given the the facts that we've seen. And Randy Credico, just to remind people, he's a comedian, a radio host, and Stone's, he's been back and forth uh, with Roger Stone. Um, he's also reported in the indictment to be Stone's back channel to Julian Assange, one of the back channels to Julian Assange. And Again, in the indictment, you know, he's received a number of threats from Stone, including threats to his therapy dog, Bianca. Poor Bianca. Bianca. Did you know Bianca is the only dog to have been in the grand jury, the Mueller grand jury? Because she's a therapy dog. So I read this morning that Bianca has actually been in the grand jury. But it is, it's, it's an extraordinary indictment in many ways. And it is kind of textbook. If you think about, we spend a lot of time talking about, is there enough here to prove obstruction or witness tampering? And then you sort of see this version. This is as overt um, with references to the Godfather too, and the individual who testified and didn't testify about all the things he knew, pretended he didn't know certain things. And so Stone is really trying to basically pull out all the tricks he can to get somebody not to come forward and testify truthfully. Did you ever have an indictment with a reference to the Godfather? I did not. Did you? No, the closest we came, I think we had a reference to The Princess Bride. Not quite the same. It's a great movie. It is a great movie. Well, there was a a defendant we charged who called himself um, Dread Pirate Roberts. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a story I'd like to hear more later. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. After the Millard Fillmore (laughs) tattoo, we'll we'll talk about that. So, So one of the things I think we should talk about is paragraph 12 of the indictment says after the July 22nd, 2016 release of stolen DNC emails by organization one, which of course is WikiLeaks, a senior Trump campaign official was directed to contact Stone about any additional releases and what other damaging information organization one, which again is WikiLeaks, had regarding the Clinton campaign. Stone thereafter told the Trump campaign about potential future releases of damaging material by organization one. What do you, I mean, so this is the first time I think we've seen this allegation that a, that a senior person directed, um, that a senior campaign official was directed. Um, and I guess, you know, the first question, obviously, is who's directing? Right. Well, I guess yeah, the two questions are who's a senior Trump campaign official and who's doing the directing? With respect to the who the campaign official is, I guess there's some evidence that it was Steve Bannon. Yes, there's, there's a lot of so, so discussion know, that it's Bannon. I don't know if it, if it matters so much, but, but you're right. The, the question of... Who directed him to do it? And much has been made of this. You and I both talked about this elsewhere. That in a, in a document that's all basically in the active voice and people are identified, whether it's by name or by person one or person two or organization one. With, with significant description. So it's not just right. organization one. It explains that it's... Here you have, a, you have a passive voice construction. A senior Trump campaign official was directed to contact Stone. So my question is, before we get to who it might be, yeah. why is it in there? It's not necessary to the charge. Um, 
it is bound to cause speculation on the part of, you know, ordinary people and quote unquote experts like you and me. I believe that the Mueller folks are very careful. They don't put anything into the indictment that they don't intend to put into the indictment. They were very careful about using the passive voice. So I don't know why it's necessary. I don't know why it's there. I don't know what message is trying to be sent. And then the, the clear decision not to identify the person when the speculation is going to be obvious. That it's Trump. That it's Trump, because yeah. who else directs? You're already identifying someone as a senior Trump campaign official. Right, and then so it's, it's who could be higher. senior. Right, exactly. Who could be senior to that. And also in the context of saying contact Roger Stone, right. with whom Trump has a 40-year relationship. Yes, I agree. So what's it doing in there? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great question. Um, you know, I think you could make an argument that it is part of the narrative that um, Stone has said repeatedly that he didn't have conversations with uh, members, with the president or members of the campaign about about this. And this obviously, there's a number of pieces that go on in the indictment to sort of say, well, that's not true um, and include specific conversations. So, uh, you know, part of it is is and this is common in an indictment. You want to put part of the narrative in. That being said, I agree with you. There's something there's something unusual about about this being in here because it isn't necessary for the charges. And I think the question is, and I maybe have to read it taking it out, was does is does it feel like there's something missing? Because you know, Stone is out there and he's basically denying having these communications with Trump, with you know, all of this is made up. Um, and then you start to see that it's not just that he's in the back and forth with WikiLeaks as he had or the back and forth with the GRU, the Russian intelligence agency, it's that there is a connection to the campaign. And there is a connection to the Trump effort to become president of the United States. And I personally think there there is a question of materiality of whether or not something is relevant and important to the investigation. And so if, you know, for example, if Roger Stone went in and said the sky was gray when the sky was really blue, well, you know, the House doesn't really need to know whether the sky was gray or blue for the purposes of understanding Russia collusion. That would not be material to the investigation. But this goes to the heart of the House Intelligence Committee's investigation into the Russian hacking of the emails and whether there were any efforts to coordinate with Russia. And so why does it matter? It matters because he's an, you know, arguably a conduit between the president of the, the future president of the United States and these two other organizations. But why not? But what I, I still don't understand is I'm why. Not, I'm not disagreeing by yeah, that. I'm making my best argument. Right. <laughs> so because you could have just said a senior, a senior Trump campaign official contacted Stone about, et cetera, because right. then you've already established... Right, I agree. A connection with that. between yep. the campaign official and Stone, and so the directed to, especially if it's the president, is odd for another reason. And and tell me if you agree with this: the mere fact that the president might have said to Steve Bannon, hypothetically, Get me that "Hey, go find out what Stone yes. knows," is not, to my mind, a crime. I agree. We should talk about this and stop here just for a second, because there's a lot of questions about what's a crime and what isn't a crime, and why conspiracy wasn't charged here. So let's break let's break it down just a little. But first of all, and I think this is really important to say, just knowing that somebody else has committed or is committing a crime is not sufficient to make you guilty of a crime, right? And so, you know, there's certain circumstances in which there's there's this depending on the timing, there's misprision of felony, which we don't have to talk about here. But and and there <laughs> we, you know, we love in, in that. There's accessory after the fact. There's also there are things the, that are that are usually not charged that are on the books that can make you guilty of something much less than the underlying crime. Yes, that's true. If but you've done something to hide it or not report exactly, it in certain circumstances. Right, right. That, that is true. Yes, but you're, you're correct generally. 
that uh, as a rule, if the Trump campaign knew here that Russia had hacked those emails, well, look, the American public also knew, right? This came out in June of 2016. There was reporting that the Russians had hacked the emails. So, you know, if the Trump, Trump campaign knew that Russia had hacked those emails, knowing that and knowing that they're going to release them, I don't think makes them guilty of a crime. What's interesting in this indictment, there are parts here where it is clear that they are looking for specific information or Stone sends this note basically saying, get to Assange and see if they have any emails related to, and I think it's August 2011 when, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. They're looking for specific information. Now, we don't know more. We don't know were they looking at it so that they could um, create a narrative about Clinton in the in the Trump campaign, were they looking at it to sort of coordinate or time different releases? But that's where it gets, I think, potentially interesting. Yeah, w- with respect to the main crime committed here, so there absolutely was a crime. There was a hacking done by, we think, uh, Russian officials, right? That's what the intelligence community says. That's what Mueller's indictment. And they've been charged, said. yes. They've been charged. So that's the crime. The question is, was there participation in that crime on the part of anyone in the Trump campaign? And largely what we've seen is the, the hacking crime was a, was a completed offense at some point. And then these meetings, the timeline show, and the discussions, particularly in this Roger Stone indictment, are about trying to find out what was going to be released and on what timetable after the hacking was complete. I, I wanna, so there's no evidence here that I I've argue, seen. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's right. But there's still a question of when Donald Trump went out and said, Russians, or if you're listening, please go get Hillary Clinton's emails. Yeah. We still don't know whether any action, you know, we, we there is, it's been but reported that- he said that, that at a rally. Right. It, he but said it out in the open. How can that be a crime, It's man? been reported that the, <laughs> the Russians then attempted to do so. And so, you know, again, there's no indication that it's any more than Trump making a public statement that the Russians heard and responded to. But I think that there's more questions are raised by this indictment now of what relationship, if any, was there between the Trump officials and and the Russians through WikiLeaks or directly. By the way, let's just stop here for one second. So I, I put our son down to bed. I come out and my husband says, um, this is Friday night after Roger Stone has been indicted. And my husband says, Roger Stone is on TV, which we should just talk about this also <laughs> for a second. <laughs> what is he Why doing? Why is he on TV? No yeah. good comes. And if you're a defense lawyer, the last thing in the world you would want is your client to be out making the rounds on cable news, talking about the charges against him. Right. Even Rudy stayed off TV this week, <laughs> which that, thank God for that. But Rudy, Rudy may have learned a little bit of his lesson, I think. Probably not. But, but yeah, I mean, it's an extraordinary thing to be charged with a crime and to be out there talking because, again, everything can be used against you. But the, the second part, I was still absorbing the fact that Roger Stone was on TV when my husband said, yeah, and he's mad at Preet about something. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why is Roger Stone mad at Preet? So you want to tell so us he, a little bit? I, I, so it's a little nuts. I don't know Roger Stone, never met Roger Stone, seen his odiousness in various ways. So on three television broadcasts, including on Fox News, on CNN, and then on Sunday again on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, in his sort of opening talking point, he yells about Wolf Blitzer and me and has said completely falsely. And you said on CNN, I later watched the clip, you said it, it's a strong case. You basically went through and explained why these charges are significant and why it's yeah, a strong I, case. I, I sort of went through what you and I just went through with respect to how hard it's going to be for him to defend the case. And then he said, like, out of the blue, you know, I, I think I might have still been in bed, uh, not to overshare. When this Steph- is a day of oversharing this is on Sunday, your I know. Fillmore tattoo. Um, he says, to have Wolf Blitzer on CNN or Preet Bahar, and he mispronounces my name, so I'm very agitated by that also. And then he refers to me as a man accused 
I guess, by a federal judge of willfully leaking a grand jury testimony to the media. I don't know if that's an interesting parenthetical. That's not true. Never happened. No judge has ever found that. But isn't this what never Roger Stone that. does, too? He just, he just, he just, he makes just casts, up facts and then... Yeah, yeah. He, just, he just character assassinates people for no reason because he doesn't like what they have said. So anyway, uh, rest assured, that is completely made up false nonsense. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To hear the rest of the episode, become a member now at cafe.com slash insider and get access to all insider content. That's cafe.com slash insider.